In the last episode of Sentence, we discussed a serial killer that was terrorizing the Tampa area of Florida in the 1980s. The bodies of six young women had been discovered by fall of 1984. But when Lisa McVeigh was abducted, everything would change. Lisa was able to manipulate her abductor into setting her free. Welcome to Sentenced. I'm Kara. And I'm Caitlin. I did it right this time. Good job. She remembered how to intro everybody. To our own show. (laughs) Insert applause track. Yay. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, (laughs) You got that song stuck in my head now. I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Right before we recorded... um, we, we always press record at the same time, and I was, I told Caitlin, I was like, okay, I'm going to hit record, and she's like, no, don't do it yet, and then I was like, tell me when I go, tell me when I go, <laughs> and so now we're both probably going to be sitting here with that song in our head the whole time. I just, honestly, that first line of the song, like the first verse, Jesus Christ had dreads, so shake him. I ain't got none, but I'm planning on growing some. That's my favorite part, and it gets stuck in my head. So now it's going to be stuck in my head the rest of the day. Sorry. Well, at least it's the end of the day, so I'll just go to sleep thinking about it, but guaranteed it'll be stuck in my head tomorrow, just like Peaches has been stuck in my head for weeks. That's so annoying. Peaches, 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 peaches. Now it's going to be stuck in your head. You're welcome. Thank you. Misery loves company. Um, shout out to my cousin. She texted me and said that she's listened to every episode of the podcast and says that we're doing great. Yay! Thank you. What's her name? Her name's Terry. Oh, thank you, Terry. It was a very sweet text to wake up to on I think it was Saturday when she texted me. So that's awesome. I love that. Shout out, Terrence. Um, any updates that you want to share? I don't think so. I know there's been a lot going on in the news, um, but I don't know that there's necessarily anything we need to get into right away on the podcast. Anything you want to share? Just that Robert was watching like some clips of true crime videos on Twitter the other day. And the first one he was listening to was um, a case that I covered and then not even five minutes later, it was another case that I covered. Really? And I was just like, I was like, what are you listening to? And it was like the top five youngest serial killers. And then it was um, the top five like teenager murders or oh, something okay. like that. Yeah. So it, it was related to, sorry, not related to, but yeah, it was two cases that I had covered, but when he was listening to it, I heard of another case that I kind of want to cover, so. Very interesting. Yeah. Synchronicity right there. Because I've been having a hard time, like, picking cases lately, so it seems like this one has enough about it that I'd be able to cover a full episode on it. Anything you want to (sighs) share? No. Okay. (laughs) Why? No, I was just, I didn't know if if that was like a segue into like a preview for your next case. No, because I don't want to, because last time I did, I didn't even cover that episode. That makes sense. Or that that case, I should say. 
So I don't want to get everybody's hopes up or stick my foot in my mouth over a case that I don't cover again because I couldn't find information on it. But it seems like a pretty, I don't like saying famous. Well known. Or, or popular, but like, yeah, I don't know. Well covered, Not, maybe. Yeah, I think there's a lot of information on it, so okay. it should be enough for an episode. We'll see. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing about it. Well, now you get to bring us back into this nonsense of a case. Yes. So where we left off last week, um, it was the year 1984, and there was a string of killings that started early in, earlier in the year. And so now we kind of get into fall area, and Lisa McVeigh had been abducted by this uh, perpetrator and... Basically, she was able to kind of manipulate him into letting her go and setting her free. Um, At the scene of the crime, or I guess at the scenes where these bodies were discovered for all of these victims, there was these red fibers found everywhere. And we know now that in the car that this person put Lisa in, the red fibers were in the vehicle. Um, So we know now that they're linked, as well as the weird tire tracks that were found where these bodies were discovered. There was one tire that wasn't matching the other three, and we know that that's something that Lisa saw on her abductor's vehicle as well. So very smart of her to be able to kind of figure out what's going on in the mind of her abductor and say, okay, he's mad at woman. He went through a breakup, and she used that against him. And then she also um, said that her father was ill and that she was the only one that was able to care for him. So he had set her free. He told her to wait five minutes and then she can remove her blindfold, which she did. And then she went to the authorities. It's important to, to note that when Lisa was reunited with her family, it doesn't sound like they believed her right away. If you remember from the first episode, she was living with her grandma and her grandma's boyfriend, and he was abusing her as well. So unfortunately, it was a pattern for her for a long time. And eventually, she did go to the authorities and tell them everything. When she does this, they know that they're looking for a red Dodge Magnum. Lisa was able to identify roughly where he lived. And she also told detectives that he visited an ATM near a Howard Johnson Hotel. Although she was blindfolded for the duration of her abduction, she was still kind of able to describe him to authorities. I was Googling Dodge Magnums because um, my dad has one. They look completely different (laughs) now Uh than they did back then. I mean, of course they will, but um, I just had to look it up because I was like, wait, that's what kind of car my dad has. Oh, weird. Anyway, sorry. Not my dad's not a serial killer. It's okay. (laughs) No, (laughs) of course not. I I was just curious because my dad's had that car forever. Um, So when you said that, I was like, wait a minute. Okay, anyway, sorry. No worries. Tangent over. (laughs) Detectives knew that this could be a match to the serial killer that they were hunting, but they had to be sure. So they collected evidence off of her clothing. So when they took Lisa's clothing, her clothing, of course, had red fibers, and they sent what they collected from her clothing to the FBI. Meanwhile, while all of this was going on, another body was discovered. 
18-year-old Virginia, or Jenny Lee Johnson, was born on July 7, 1966, in Connecticut. She went missing from Nebraska Avenue in late October. At the time of her disappearance, she had gone out for cigarettes and she never returned. She was found near the body of, I think it was the fourth victim that I talked about, Chanel Williams, but she was a little further north. Jenny was found with the same ligatures as most of the other victims, and she had one single red fiber found in her hair. That's pretty ballsy that he's now dumping other victims near where he's dumped a previous victim. I don't know if the idea behind that is, oh, well, lightning can't strike twice. I'm just going to go back to the scene of the crime. It's, It's the perfect solution. Or if it was just like, well, I know that they're looking here. I'm going to dump it here. I want, maybe he wanted to get caught. I'm not sure. When was Lisa picked up in comparison to when this last victim was found? So Lisa was abducted on November 3rd. If you remember, it was like 2.30 in the morning on November 3rd. And this body was discovered. Gosh, it must have been right. It was right after this. So she went missing in late October, Uh but her body wasn't discovered until after Lisa made it home. Correct. Okay, got it. So she was picked, the other girl was picked up before Lisa, but found after Lisa. Correct, yes. Sorry, I have to explain that to myself like three times so I understand the timeline. No, I'm glad you asked. As I'm going through this, it's, I know the timeline, so if I'm not saying something, it's definitely good that it's asked and addressed because I'm sure if you're wondering it the listeners are wondering it too. On November 12th another body was discovered in Tampa City Limits. Kim Marie Swan was born on May 17th 1963. She was just 21 years old. She was a single mother and a student who worked part-time as a dancer. At the scene of the crime detectives found the same tire tracks matching the other crime scenes. So that's really sad. She had a baby. I think that her baby was just one year old and the baby ended up living with um, her parents. So that's really sad. So this is like victim six? Um, nine. Oh, nine. Jeez. Nine, including off. Lisa. Okay. Yes. Even though she wasn't killed, she's still a victim. So the eighth body, but the ninth victim. Okay. Dang, my count was way off. That's so many more than I thought we were at. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Since the red fibers on Lisa's clothing were a match to the crime scenes, the manhunt was on. They used information she provided as a map to track him down. They subpoenaed ATM records to get the names of all transaction at the ATM that was near the Howard Johnson Hotel, and they subpoenaed records to all the DMV records associated with a Dodge Magnum in Hillsborough County. There were about 500 people that had that car, so pretty big list there. They compared both lists and they found one name on both reports. The name was Robert Joe Long. They soon located his vehicle cruising on Nebraska Avenue, which, if you remember, was his hunting ground. They pulled him over and they told him they were conducting a robbery investigation. They asked if they could take a picture of him with their Polaroid camera. He consented to the photo, but he would not allow them to search his vehicle. Which is always super sus. Like, if I got pulled over, I'd been like, yeah, 
Right? Sure. Like, there's nothing in it. So go for it, I guess. I get really weirded out when I get pulled over. Even though I'm doing nothing wrong, like, I, it's still, you know, I just always think about those cases where it's, like, a fake cop, like, luring the victims, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's always good to exercise caution. But, yes, if they're, if they legitimately wanted to search my vehicle, I would probably be like, okay, I'll follow you to the police station. Yeah. Well, and, like, it's never... You can always ask for to see a badge. Like, it's never, like, you're not in the wrong to verify their identity, especially right. at night. Like, I feel like during the day, it's not so much, like, suspicious, but definitely at night, it's always weird. Um, I thankfully have only been pulled over once at night, but Robert was driving, and we got pulled over for tailgating somebody because, like, we were getting onto the freeway, and the guy in front of us would not go more than 50 but we were merging into traffic, so the cop, like, pulled us over, and we're just, like, we're trying to merge into traffic, and the guy in front of us isn't going. Yeah. We didn't get a ticket, but still, like, that's the only time we've been pulled over at night. Um, but I've been pulled over, like, I think twice. And one time was a motorcycle cop, and then the other time was just a cop by himself, and or CHP by himself. Uh-huh. Um, I, I never know what to do. I always panic. I always start crying. Because, right. like... I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> like, no, they have so even much though, power. <laughs> even though both times I was speeding, and it's just like, I know I'm in the wrong, but I still like panic and start crying because I'm a, a baby. Well, I that happened to me not too long ago. So someone, there was a cop behind me, and they were behind me for a long time, probably like ten or fifteen miles. And so I was speeding, but I also was, I was going like 10 miles over the speed limit. And I was like, right, like, I'm not going to be that obvious. But then they remained behind me. And then she was like riding my ass. And I was like, well, I don't want to get over because then she's going to think I'm avoiding her. So I just like stayed in my lane and she was riding my ass. And eventually she pulled me over and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I didn't want you to be mad at me. (laughs) I didn't know what to do. Like, it was really scary, and I was nervous. And she was like, well, no, if someone's, like, riding your ass, just, like, get over into the next lane and, like, let them pass you, and then you can get back over or whatever. And she she just let me off with a warning. And she's like, yeah, you were going 10 miles over the speed limit. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, don't do that. <laughs> it's like, okay. And then you should have been like, then don't ride my ass. Like, I thought that's what we were supposed that's, to be doing. That's why I was so confused. I was like, oh, she wants me to go faster. Like, yeah. So it was very oh confusing, but luckily it was a female and she was really cool. But I, but it is scary. And I think I was listening to Crime Weekly one time and one of the hosts on that show is Derek Lavasser and he's a formal, former detective. So, and he even says on there, he's like, anytime you're having an interaction with a cop, ask them to see their badge. You can even call the station and say, hey, can you verify this badge for me? So I think if it's a real cop and you ever get pulled over and they want to do anything like that, call whatever department, whatever sheriff's office they're from, and just verify their badge. I think that's just a really good practice. Yeah, and like I said, specifically, like, mostly at night, because, like, Mm -hmm. that's when more nefarious things are going to be taking place, especially, like, traffic stops, where they're, like, stopping you in the middle of nothing, and there's nothing going on. It's like, that's weird. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. I mean, I'm not usually going anywhere by myself at night anyways, but... I mean, I'm sure yeah, that same. there's always exceptions to that, so. Yeah, I mean, I was visiting with family last weekend, which was completely unplanned, and then I ended up driving home after going to Texas Roadhouse, so. Yeah. 
But I was on the phone with my husband the entire way because, like, I get so weird at night. And I didn't have my glasses either, so, like, I don't see very well at night Same. either. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I had a cop behind me, not to continue on this tangent, but I had a cop behind me just a couple days ago driving through town. And I got over because I just, like, felt like they had an attitude with me for some reason. But they didn't. Like, they were just trying to get to where yeah. they were going. But I always get over if there's a cop behind me. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, if they want to pull me over, they're going to pull me over. If not, then they're going to keep going on their merry way. Yeah. I think, too, it's like, for me, I always, I don't know. It. I, I just don't know why there's such, like, there's so much nervousness around that. I'm not doing anything wrong. I have insurance. I have a driver's license. I have my registration. Like, we're yeah. all good here. But it's still, it's just, it's nerve wracking because they're authority figures and like, it's just, it's never a comfortable interaction. Like it's, you're always in trouble. Like even when you're not. It's kind of like when your boss is like, Hey, can we touch base or can we chat? Or do you have a few minutes? Let's go to my office. You're like, no, (laughs) like what did I do? I'm like, for what? (laughs) Exactly. I, I like to get in front of those things. So anytime my boss is like, oh, I'm coming to your property, I'm like, am I in trouble? Yeah. Because I want to know. And she's always, it's always no, but it's like, am I getting fired? Am I getting written up? Am I in trouble? And it's always no, but it's like, I just want to make sure before she gets there because I don't like being blindsided. Totally. I completely agree. Anyways, um, sorry for that tangent, but yes, so they found Robert Joe Long and they found the Dodge Magnum. Um, he was cruising the Nebraska Avenue district and they pulled him over so that they could take a picture of him. That way they could eventually put him in a lineup. They said, of course, that it was for a robbery investigation just because they didn't want to allude to the fact that they were looking for a serial killer. So he took the picture. He did not consent to a search of his vehicle, but they did assign a surveillance team so that they could monitor him 24 seven. With the Polaroid picture that they took, detectives conducted a photo lineup and Lisa was able to identify Long immediately. Feeling the walls closing in, Long started cleaning his house and his car thoroughly. Detectives intercepted literally anything and everything that he threw away. So if he was cleaning out his house and he was taking stuff to the trash, they would just intercept it. They even, he took his car to get washed and he vacuumed it and they literally like took whatever debris was in the vacuum. Oh, good. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, you're a dumbass. Like, I'm glad, like, most of these villains um, are dumbasses because it's, like, that can all be recovered. Like, you're not getting rid of it. Right. Like, you're being watched. As as soon as you abandon something, as soon as you throw something away, it becomes abandoned property and anyone can intercept it. So. Exactly. So I'm glad he's an idiot. Yeah. Within 24 hours of identifying Long, there was no there was an arrest warrant in place. While Long was sitting in a movie theater, detectives were sitting in the audience with him. Another team inspected his vehicle in the parking lot and identified the red carpet and the obscure tire. He was arrested in the movie theater parking lot. Oh, I was gonna I was hoping you were gonna say in the movie theater, and I'd be like, damn, that would have must have been awesome to see like somebody just getting arrested, but right? no, it was in a parking lot. No, they Darn waited it. for him to come out. I think I don't know if they wanted to cause like I don't know. Maybe they didn't want the crowd or whatever to be yeah. scared or I'd be scared shitless I, if I saw that. I guess. I guess it's a good reason. I don't think Not- it was because they wanted him <laughs> to like finish the movie. <laughs> I don't think they cared about that. 
Damn it. Do you know what movie he was seeing? No, I wish I could look it up, but uh, no. That'd be good to know. <laughs> they apprehended his vehicle and removed a piece of the carpet for testing. During the interrogation, Long declined an attorney. They started asking questions about Lisa McVeigh, and he confessed to her abduction and assault immediately. When they questioned him about picking up sex workers, he originally denied, but eventually he said that he may have picked up a few. As they were interviewing him, the crime lab positively identified the red carpet taken from the vehicle to the red fibers found at the other crime scenes. Detectives told Long about the red fibers, the hair, and the tire tracks found at the crime scenes. Long confessed to everything. He described every murder in detail in a confession that lasted almost six hours. He showed zero remorse. I feel so bad for the cops that had to sit there in that room with this man for six hours just listening to him. You know he was enjoying every minute of Mm -hmm. telling them every detail. Yeah. It must be a really hard job, too, because you're sitting there and this person is basically going through every terrible thing that they did and you have to show zero like you can't have any sort of facial reactions to anything because what if there's like something that he told you and you're like that's it like that's the nail in the coffin that's what we needed you can't do that you want them to go and you want them to divulge as much information as possible but it's like how do you not how do you even sit there I don't know yeah and you don't want to have too big of an emotional reaction because then he could like shut down or you know I don't know yeah I'm glad I don't do that job. No, me too. In his confession, he even confessed to an additional murder, and he drew a map to find the body of Victoria Marie Elliott. Victoria Marie, or Vicki Elliott, disappeared on September 7th. She was a petite redhead who lived alone and didn't own a car. Vicki was supposed to be getting a ride to work from a neighbor, but by the time the neighbor showed up, she was gone. She only lived about a mile away from her work, and if she did need to walk, she would always carry scissors with her to protect herself, because oftentimes, men would yell at her as she was walking. That sucks. Yeah. She was prepared, and so she was missing in September, and he was arrested when? He was arrested on November 16th. So, my math, three months later? No, two months later. Yeah. Okay. She was reported missing by her supervisor at the Ramada Inn where she worked in the cafe. Her boss, Mickey Newberger, told the St. Petersburg Times, We knew something was wrong instantly. She was always so punctual. She was never late. Her mother also said this was very out of character. She was very responsible when it came to work and school. Her body was located in a patch of scrub northeast of Tampa, On November 16th, so the day that he was arrested was the day that they uncovered her body. This is sad. The scissors she always carried with her were lying next to her body. Wow. Mm -hmm. Vicky had big plans for her future. She had even purchased a plane ticket to return to Michigan on October 5th when where she planned to attend school and become a paramedic so she had already given her notice at work she was just finishing out her notice and she was going to go back home to michigan that's so sad she seems like a really good person all of these are sad i don't want to say that hers is more sad than anybody else's but no and every i feel like every single victim has something different about them that makes 
especially sad for this individual. Like, she had her protection on her, and it was yeah. lying next to her. After the body of Vicki Elliott was recovered, a press conference was held to notify the public that the serial killer had been found and he had confessed. While they were searching his apartment, authorities found a photo album of naked women and personal items he took from the victims as souvenirs. Detectives soon realized that not only was Long the serial killer terrorizing Tampa, but in addition... They had caught the classified ad rapist. Wait, what? Yes. So not only was he a serial killer, but there was a string of crimes in Tampa that they thought were unrelated that they had named the classified ad rapist. This began around 1981. Long would contact women through the penny saver and other classified ads if they were selling items. So say, for instance, if someone was selling a couch or like a bedroom set. What he would do is he would go to these houses and when the woman was alone, he would go to the restroom, take out what he called his quote unquote rape kit. And he would sexually assault these, sexually assault and rob these women. It is reported that this happened to about 50 women. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And they're not related? Like, how would they not be related? Well, he wasn't abducting these women. They say that he had this quote-unquote rape kit. I don't know what that means. So I don't know if it was like he was drugging them or what was going on. But he was never putting them in his car. There were never any ligatures on these women. It was basically just he would go into their houses and carry out these acts. I hate this guy more now. I know. Isn't that so horrible? That's disgusting. On November 22nd, a couple was out for a walk when they came across a decomposed skull. This was the body of artist Anne Wick, 18 years old. She was born on May 23rd in 1963 in Winchester, Indiana. Anne had blonde hair, green eyes, and was described as a very likable, lovable girl. She had moved to Tampa, hitchhiking her way there to be close to her sister after she graduated high school. Anne fell in love with Florida, and she was supposed to be married within a week of her untimely death. She had gone on a walk to buy cigarettes, and she had been missing for about eight months. It is estimated that she was killed around March 27, 1984. She was Long's first murder victim, but the last to be discovered. Wow, that's poetic. Yeah. Long received six life sentences, 693 years for his attacks on women in 1984 in Hillsborough, and the kidnapping and assault of Lisa McVeigh. He received 33 life sentences. He was sentenced to death for killing Virginia Johnson and Michelle Sims. Long was never convicted for the classified rapist, partially due to the statute of limitations. Wow. Yeah. When Long was executed on May 23rd, 2019, Lisa McVeigh, along with another survivor, Linda Nutell, were present in the viewing room. He had no last words and his eyes remained closed the entire time. And Linda Nutell, she was one of the victims from the classified ad rapist. Okay, I was going to say. Yeah. So now I'm just going to talk a little bit about Bobby Joe Long's past so that we kind of have an idea of who he was and potentially what caused these behaviors. I know that we're always kind of sitting here shaking our heads and wondering how people can do this, why people can do this. I mean, more often than not, we'll never know. 
but sometimes there are things that have happened in their lives. I don't necessarily know if this is one of those cases because although there's a little bit of trauma, it doesn't seem like it's really enough to validate what he did. But in any case, Robert Joseph Long was born on October 14th, 1953. He was born with Kleinfelter syndrome, also known as KS, which is a genetic condition where a male has an additional copy of the X chromosome. The primary features are infertility and small, poorly functioning testicles. Sometimes symptoms are more evident and may include weaker muscles, uh, greater height, poor motor, motor condition, less body hair, and uh, breast growth in males, and less interest in sex. Often, these symptoms are noticed only at puberty. Intelligence is usually average, but reading difficulties and problems with speech are more common. I can see you Googling. I was trying to figure out, like, how tall he was and stuff. I wanted to see what he looked like. But he's just, like, an average-looking white man. Yeah. And then also, uh, apparently, he had undergone a breast reduction in his younger years because he was teased a lot as a child. Oh, yeah. That sucks, but I can only imagine. Yeah. And I know in the first episode, we mentioned a lot of times these serial killers who take aggression out on women, they probably have a poor relationship with their mother. So I think it's important to note some red flags in this relationship. One of them is that he slept in his mother's bed until he was a teenager. Was that by choice? It didn't say. It just, that's all it said is he slept in in her bed until he was a teenager. I don't know if it's like there was a codependency there. I don't know if it's due to housing, their housing situation, or if he was like having nightmares. I'm not sure. But again, I guess just take take with that what you will. And in addition, his mother had a lot of dysfunctional relationships with men. So I think just like that pattern of her constantly dating probably these abusive, toxic men that was probably not great for him. Right. He had a history of head trauma, including a major accident at the age of six and a major motorcycle accident when he was a little bit older um, after he was married, and that left him in a coma for three days. After he recovered from this motorcycle accident was when his wife, Cynthia, noticed a difference in Long, and it's when he started abusing her. In 1970, he had his first brush with the law when he stole a car battery. In February of 71, he was charged charged with resisting a police officer. He was giving probation so that his record could remain clean, but not for long. In October of 71, he dropped out of high school. He hadn't gotten past 10th grade due to his attendance issues. He enlisted in the Army in 72 And then in 74 is when he married Cynthia. So I know that was kind of a little bit out of order there. Sorry about that. It's okay. He had a son named Christopher Joseph Long in June of 1974 and a daughter named Bobby Joe in October of 75. He went back to school in 77 to become an x-ray tech and Cynthia filed for divorce in June of 1980. I just have to say that's really weird that he did not give his son his name, but gave his daughter his name. Yeah, it is weird. That's really bizarre to me. Yeah, because his name, what he went by was Bobby Joe, B-O-B-B-Y, and then his daughter was B-O-B-B-I. Still, though, like, 
oh, here's my son, Christopher, and then here's my daughter, who I love so much and named after myself. Yeah. Like, it just seems, I don't know if that was kind of his way of, like, or if he even had a say in the name. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't know if that was maybe his way of, like, oh, I've done all these horrible things to women, and so I'm going to name my daughter after me and, like, make up for it in a weird way. I don't know. I'm pulling at straws. But that was only because she was born in 74 and his crime spree didn't even start until 81. Oh, then never mind. I mean, his the classified ad rapist didn't start until 81. But I don't know. Maybe it was just he was trying he was having those feelings and then he just he needed to divert it in some weird way and solidify the fact that he wasn't terrible. Or it could have been like a possession thing like. Oh, my son, like, let him have his own name, but you're my daughter, so you're going to have my name. Possibly, like, a possession thing before he got to his ex. I don't know. I don't know. It's really weird, but if I was a son, I mean, again, like, he's a terrible person, so honestly, she could have changed her name because she, I didn't see her in any of the documentaries, so it sounds like she's definitely distancing herself from the situation and from him so if I had to guess I would say she's probably changed her name by now but yeah I feel like if it was a a normal healthy family like there would be a little bit of resentment there it's like I know you don't watch the office but like Andy he was like oh yeah like my parents originally named me after my father but then my brother was born so they changed my name and then they named my little brother after my father it's like that's so messed up that's so weird yeah it's like you're not worthy to have exactly. my name, but your younger sibling is. Yeah, and that's what like that's why it was so messed up in the office because that's exactly what the situation was. They were like, yeah. yeah, they felt like he was a better fit for the namesake. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's so weird. Which is really sad. Yeah, in 1981, he was reprimanded for not paying child support. In August of 81, a woman who had previously roomed with Long, alleges that that he sexually assaulted her. In November of 81, he gets into a fight with a woman and claims that he was kicking her out of his house. Basically, just he was removing her from his property. Also, in November of 81, he is charged with sending nude photos to a 12-year-old. He stayed in jail for two days, paid $66.50 in jail fines, and put on probation. And I'm sorry, $66.50. I don't care if this was the 80s. The 80s was, was not that long ago. I don't care what that equals today. That's not enough money for doing that. Right. It's like, oh, two days. That's it. And then uh, maybe some probation for a little bit. Absolutely not. Like, I'm glad now we're more strict on those things. But still, it's like, come on, 80s. Like, we could have done better than that. Yeah, I know. It's pretty horrible. In June of 1983, he was fired from his job as an x-ray technician because he ordered women to undress unnecessarily for x-rays. In September of 1983, he finally went to trial for the assault on the woman that he roomed with in 1981. He represented himself, declined a jury, and received six months probation, 30 days in jail, and 30 hours of community service. But this would later be acquitted when he was granted a new trial, claiming that he did, in fact, want a jury, and he wanted a lawyer. Oh, my gosh. This guy sucks. He does. In March of 1981, a woman who had advertised her house in the classifieds is sexually assaulted. 
On April 5th, 1984, a woman was abducted around 11.30 p.m. from a shopping center. A man was admiring her Jaguar, and he talked her into giving him a ride in it. He allegedly pulled a gun on her, and she crashed, she crashed her car to get away. Long was arrested and charged with aggravated assault. They never found the gun. He received three years probation. What is happening? <laughs> also in April, a, his relationship with a nurse from the hospital that he previously worked at ended. So I think after him and that nurse broke up is what he was referring to when he abducted Lisa and she asked why he was doing all this. He said he was mad at woman because there was a relationship that had ended. I think that that's what he's referring to. But I wanted to get to do this timeline because this is so ridiculous. All of these different things that he's getting in trouble for, getting in a fight with a woman, sending these nude photos, um, pulling a gun on a woman in the Jaguar. Like these are all like what all of these crimes could have been avoided if they would have just locked him up in the first place. Always. So I know that, again, this episode has been a lot, a lot to deal with, but I just kind of want to circle back to Lisa because she is kind of the hero of the story here because she was able to get away. She was able to eventually put a stop to this string of crimes. The person responsible was apprehended and later the death penalty was carried out even though he was in jail for like 30 years or something ridiculous like that. So since her abduction, Lisa started working at the Parks and Recreation Department in Hillsborough County, which is the same county that all of this was happening in. While she was working at the Parks and Recreation Department, um, she kind of, there was a break-in that happened and she was talking to, like, the, to the dispatch person and they were like, you should be a cop. And she was like, I should be a cop. <laughs> so she became a cop. Bad bitch, Lisa. I know. She became a police officer, a school resource officer, and a motivational speaker. And again, she works with the same sheriff's department that helped arrest her abductor. She specializes in crimes of sexual assault, child abuse, and elderly abuse. Wow. Lisa's it. I know. She's amazing. There's, um, I've watched several of her videos and she really is super inspiring. One thing that she said too, and I'm going to read a quote from her. If you remember at the beginning of the last episode, I talked about how she really was having a rough go of it and she wanted to commit suicide. Um, and then this really kind of turned things, you know, she ended up fighting for her life. And so this is the quote, I was being sexually abused at home. My grandmother's boyfriend used to put a gun to my head every time he molested me for three years. It was nothing new to me. One bad situation got to another bad situation is what saved my life. Because the night before the abduction, I'm doing my suicide note and the next night I'm fighting for my life. End quote. I'm so glad that what happened to her didn't fully break her. Mm -hmm. And that she came out of it on the other side just so much stronger. Yeah. I mean, and then there was a video, there was a video I watched on Facebook, and I'll put this on our Facebook too, so that everyone can watch it. But in this video, it was Bobby Joe Long's ex-wife, Cynthia, his son, Chris, and then one of the victim's sisters. And so it's just kind of them talking about 
what they experienced and from the video I know now that Chris he has his own daughters and something that he said is I don't know how someone that has kids can do this to other women and so I think it just solidifies that he was able to overcome this having this person as a father and so I think that that's really great and there was a little bonding moment between Cynthia and one of the victim's sisters and so it was pretty inspiring uh to see that and how they were victims as well how they were able to come together that's awesome that they can all like talk together because a lot of times like i feel like if you were a victim you feel like the whole family Mm -hmm. is the reason that you're a victim and so i think some for some people it's really hard to forgive even just the family absolutely even if they don't support that person like sometimes it's like you just don't want to associate with them at all yeah and it's too you know Because his wife, she dealt with the abuse as well. And there were probably several moments where she was, there was a lot of guilt associated with that because she probably thought like she needed to, you know what I mean? Like she should have done something, but you can't, you have to protect yourself. And so I don't, you know. Yeah. And he's a grown man. Like he's, his choices are not your choices. Right. I also just want to call attention to the fact that since this story does deal with suicide, sexual assault, and I know there were a lot of times in this episode that we used uh, the word rapist or rape, and those are typically words that we we try to stay away from. However, they were during the 80s. That's kind of what they called it. So I apologize for that if that triggered anyone. Um, And I just want to call attention to some statistics here that I have. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people ages 15 to 24 in the United States. Nearly 20% of high school students report serious thoughts of suicide and 9% have made an attempt to take their own lives, according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, We're in the month of May and May is Mental Health Month, so we always try to advocate for mental health, but especially in this month. If you know anyone that might be having any kind of suicidal thoughts and you don't know how to help them, you can call or text 988 from your phone for help or 741741. So 988 or 741741. There's resources on there for anyone that is having these emotions, anyone that knows someone that's having these emotions or thinks that someone might be having these emotions. Definitely good information to have. Yes, absolutely. So that is the case of Lisa McVeigh and the serial killer. She helps catch Bobby Joe Long. What a good episode. And Pepper was our co-co-host for the entire episode today. I put her to Um, sleep. I mean, she slept throughout most of it, but I mean, she was here. (laughs) Good. On a lighter note, um, but yeah, thank you. Sure. <sighs> now I have to do an episode. Yes, you do. <laughs> That's how this works, right? <laughs> yep. <sighs> Alrighty. Well, thank you all for listening. Yes, thank um, you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on the social medias. We are Sentence Pod pretty much everywhere. And we're getting better about posting content, so... Just not on the Patreon quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> We're still figuring that one out. But I know. If, if you want to support us, um, 
help us get better equipment, help us, you know, do this more often and have more content for you guys, definitely go and support the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash sentence pod. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys.